in a world where everyone knows everything. <laughs> yeah, right. One dad stands below everyone and yells, I know nothing. Please welcome. Please welcome. This is the Dad Who Knows Nothing podcast. Hey everyone, it's the Dad Who Knows Nothing podcast. Very excited today to have Elizabeth Lewis with us. She helps type A leaders increase their cognitive awareness to advance their wealth and confidence in only six weeks. She's an executive performance coach. She has degrees in uh, two graduate degrees in psychology, professional coach and therapist, but she specializes in performance sports psychology, which I know the dads out there like that positive psychology, cognitive behavioral therapy, and neuropsychotherapy. So if we needed any more uh, reason to know that Elizabeth knows what she's talking about in these areas. So we're going to we're gonna talk a little bit about mindset and thinking traps and all those types of things. So thank you so much, Elizabeth, for giving us a few minutes of your time today. Oh, thank you for that awesome introductory and for having me. I'm so excited. All right. So I'm fascinated by mindset. I'm fascinated by people who can help coach others to change their mindset. Maybe some something that has been ingrained in them for ever since they were children. So talk to me about how you became, how you ended up in this role for your clients. Because yeah. I, I always like to hear about the journey that people take to get to this, to their life's work. Yeah, for sure. I will tell you, um, this was not planned. It was very much a fluke. Um, so long story short, like many people out there, I had a really rough childhood. Uh, my brother literally tried killing me as a child. Oh, he, yeah, he just didn't like me. He's got some psychopathic tendencies by all means. And um, after almost dying from an eating disorder when I was 16, I chose to move out. And I was in and out of therapy since I was about 11, um, but I was actually wrapping up my undergrad in television producing, and I was in Africa doing a wildlife documentary, and I was just so tired. That's actually where I realized my childhood was a little effed up and not normal. And I remember going back to therapy, and I was like, okay, I want to get resolved this trauma. Like, I just want to overcome it. Let's move on. And therapist after therapist was just really like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're not a stripper and addicted to drugs. And wow, you went through so much. And I'm like, cool, great. Don't need the validation. Just need the steps on how to change. No one could tell me how to change. And I didn't like that. I wanted, because sometimes I would leave therapy feeling worse, not better. And I'm like, what's this up with? Like, I don't want to deal with that. And so not to sound conceited, but I went and got my first graduate degree in positive psychology with a subspecialty in coaching psychology to fix myself. I didn't think I could get into therapy school. So that's why I went that route. Um, and I ended up becoming obsessed with neuroscience and neurology and doing all of this work and ended up being naturally good at it that my professors gave me their overflow clients while in grad school. And then I started using everything that I was learning on me and like went and did all these courses and certificates and just was hungry for transformation. And long story short, I ended up walking out of autoimmune diseases and walking out of a diagnosis called complex PTSD, which is a little bit worse, I guess you could say, than PTSD, not to like 
kind of caveat it that way. And um, then I just really became so obsessed with this and I love it that it just kind of became my life's work because I know how frustrating it is to feel mentally tortured and just want to get freedom. And I'm just really passionate about helping people ultimately make the impossible possible and shift their psychology, change their neurology, change their uh, relationship with themselves and really become that healthy individual that they desire to be. Awesome. Uh, a couple things from that. So <laughs> one, I don't think you had a normal rough childhood if you had someone in the house that was trying to kill you. So that, you know, that was unique, obviously. And then to be able to have this revelation, revelation on in Africa, is pretty cool. So, so cool. yeah, very, 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 very cool. So what, what, how do you master your mindset? I mean, we, we talk, I've had a lot of conversations with people about mindset and, and I do think that your comment there about, you know, some people do just look for validation and they look at it as, well, this is the way I am. Yeah. So how do you get people that may start out with that to then say, all right, that is kind of who I am, but I can change and I can be different. I like to tell people you are a spirit, you have a soul and you live in a body. You are not your past traumas. You are not your past pains or problems. You know, one of the best things you can learn how to do is cut your past off like a dead tree branch on a tree, right? Like any dead vine sucks the life out of the plant and you've got to cut it off. And it's hard. I mean, you've got to learn these techniques. I mean, big picture mastering your mindset is really going to be a lifelong process because you're always going to be evolving. You're always going to go into deeper waters, if you will. So I like to encourage people to like focus on getting away from the dock, not accomplishing the journey at the end of the day. Cause I mean, you, you learn, you grow, you enter new psychosocial stages. For me, when it comes to like mastering your mindset, it's really getting clear on where the heck you're going. I mean, you have to know the direction you want to go and it can change, right? And so within identifying the direction, we can prune out perfectionism and rejection and the fears that kind of are entangled in that. It's also learning how to make effective, effective decisions that are not based off your feelings, but off your values and knowing your values within a nanosecond time period. It's learning your faulty thinking. I mean, 95% of our thoughts are the same every single day and one to 99% of those thoughts can be negative and you can have anywhere from 6,000 to 70,000 thoughts a day. So at some point, don't you want to get ahead of your automatic negative ways of thinking and know your tendencies so you can challenge them and be a little bit more intentional with how you show up? It's also then leveraging mindfulness and um, radical acceptance and navigating your intense emotions and knowing how to navigate them and having self healthy self-talk, but also learning how to communicate effectively. So those are like the staples I have for, for mastering your mindset. Cause if you can do those, then you'll always kind of be in control of yourself to a degree. But again, there's always like the next level you can go to within all eight of those categories. And as for the, your question about like, how do you how do I respond to people who are like, well, I am this way. I mean, that's a, that's a cop out. Mm -hmm. Like that's an excuse to really avoid the work. I mean, my eating disorder taught me so much. It taught me that if I can become 90 pounds and destroy my life, then I can probably do the opposite, right? It's mind over matter. And so 
if you're willing and you want to improve your life, you can change it. I mean, thinking literally changes your neurology and we work to create our most dominant thoughts. So if somebody came to me and wanted to work with me, but was reluctant with that, then I guess we would have to go head to head with the research and with my personal and professional experiences of what I've seen. I mean, I've helped people walk out of a 30 year suicide ideation in seven sessions. At the mm. end of the day, like change is very possible, but you have to be willing. Yeah. And those eight things, that seems like a lot of work, but most of it boils down to thoughts. And so I, I've often said that the thoughts that we have in our own, you know, I've always compared, you know, to animals. So animals do amazing things, right? They can, yeah. I mean, you've got these little birds that can fly and migrate from, you know, the Arctic circle down to South America with, yeah. and how do they get there? You know, they do amazing things, Right but it's all driven by instinct, right? Yeah. We, as the smartest animals on this planet, right? We have this thing called our brain, which allows us to think about what we're doing. And that's a blessing. And that is a curse because our thoughts are so powerful. So what makes it our thoughts? Why are they so powerful uh, to enact positive changes or negative changes? First off, I love your uh, metaphor there. And one thing that I find interesting is animals are are instinctively know everything, whereas humans literally have to learn everything. And I find that really interesting too, mm -hmm. uh, by the way, that we have to learn most things in comparison to animals. Um, going back to your question, which just slipped my mind, refresh me. Why are the thoughts so powerful? Yeah. That's right. That's right. So really actually substance thoughts are are real there's so much going in going on in the brain it's hard to like pinpoint where thoughts come from verbatim if you will because our brain is just like obviously super super um active but what we've proven and it's funny because there's a lot of religions that say the same thing that neuroscience has proven which i always think is just kind of interesting to me personally but we work to create our most dominant thoughts so like let's take someone who's 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 cheated you didn't just like wake up and cheat no you had right. thoughts you had pre-contemplation thoughts about cheating you started to visualize it you started to do it at the end of the day like let me ask you this dana have you ever met someone and you were like or prepared to meet someone and you're like i'm not going to talk about this i'm not going to talk about this like in your mind's eye you're like i'm not going to talk about this and then you get there and you talk about it oh yeah absolutely yeah same same here and it's it's because we go the direction we tell ourselves that's what we're going to do. We're going to follow that. I mean, that's the issue with those um, when we're uh, when we're not a congruent person, right? We get into dilemmas. We get into depressive behaviorisms because we're 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 just kind of all out of sorts and not liking the reality that we're creating. So I don't know if that answers your question. No, it, it it absolutely does. And there's a there's a text in whatever version of the Bible. If anybody had listened to read it, you know, it talks about out of the hearts of buzz, abundance, the mouth speaks. Right. And, and, it, and it works the other way, too. So if you're constantly talking about something that that's showing what you, your your thoughts and desires are really about. And that's a great analogy about cheating, because, you know, and normally what do people say after they've gone down this path of, of whatever bad habit? Right. And they and it culminates in something really horrible. And then they go back and they're like, I never saw myself doing this. I never I never thought it would be me. Right. And that's because it's just a it's just a progression of that happens with thoughts. 
Yeah. And, and to kind of add on to Proverbs 23, as a man thinks at his heart, so he is, but also Proverbs 18, 21, which is life and death is in the power of the tongue. People right. talk more and more about what they do not want to experience. Mm-hmm. Yet faith and fear are equal in substance. Fear is what you hope not to have happen. Faith is what you hope to have happen. And yet right. they're both equal. Yet we, most of the times people put all their like mental currency in the fear bucket Mm -hmm. and yet then they're frustrated that it happened when yet we know self-fulfilling prophecies occur it was interesting there was a study that i read and they took 100 self-proclaimed lucky people 100 self-proclaimed unlucky people put a 100 bill in the same place for all 200 people 100% of the self-proclaimed lucky people found the $100 bill. 100% of the self-proclaimed unlucky people did not find the $100 bill. And so at the end of the day, we have something called a reticular activity system, which sits on the base of our um, brain and spine, and it filters in and out the stimuli that you tell it. So that's why like when you go car shopping, you see that car everywhere. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, when you buy that new jacket, you might see that everywhere. And so when you tell yourself certain stuff, your brain is filtering in and out that stimuli to say, hey, look, here's your opportunity to do this, or here's that, or here's that. So it's so powerful to learn how to take your thoughts captive because again, six to 70,000 thoughts a day, you don't need to submit to all of them, let alone probably half of them, depending on how healthy your thinking is already. Yeah. I'm not sure who said it, but the, you know, the saying was, if you tell yourself you can do something or you tell yourself you can't do something, you're probably right. Henry Ford. And it's like, and it's so simple because all you're doing the self-fulfilling prophecy people have used that term and you know i've had this conversation with my six-year-old daughter when she when she says she can't do something and i said that ultimately may be true and you may need help to do something but don't start it with i can't do this you know give it effort find to see if you need assistance but when you start that way what happens you don't even give the effort because you've already told yourself you can't do it And if you even untangle that a little bit more, it's also an indicator that your focus is on the future and Mm. really on the outcome, which you can't control. Even professional athletes can't control the outcome of a game, but you can control your effort and Mm. perfecting the process of implementing your effort every opportunity you get. Because the reality is you only exist in the present moment and it's only in the present moment you have the opportunities to make your future rich and rewarding. Yeah. And I've always told them winning isn't everything, but wanting to win is. Yeah. And, yeah. And coming with a mindset that you already are a winner too. Right. Oh, yeah. That's huge because yep. you mm-hmm. have to detach the outcome from your worth. Absolutely. You yep. All right. So one of the things that you have on your website is you have a free test there that people can take to identify thinking traps. So yes. what are those and why is it so important for people to identify them? Yeah, so thinking traps come from cognitive behavioral therapy. And what Albert Ellis, the founder of um, cognitive behavioral therapy, discovered is that we kind of have thoughts on three level levels. So we have automatic thoughts. And these are the ones that come in like nanoseconds. That's like that first layer. So whenever you see something, you immediately go there. Like uh, we could leverage your daughter, right? Any new skill she might naturally go to, I can't do that, right? Or mm-hmm. catastrophizing or something like that. So thinking traps are cognitive distortions and there are automatic negative ways of thinking that we've just learned over the years as 
kids predominantly. And so what Albert Ellis discovered is there's about 17 common thinking trap categories, you could say, that stem from all or nothing thinking to catastrophizing to labeling, mislabeling to if only and so forth. And so I created this quiz to help identify your thinking traps so you can get ahead of the ball. Because again, if 95% of our thoughts are the same, then at some point you have to have an honest conversation with yourself and stop getting so like, oh my God, I keep having these these catastrophizing thoughts when it's like, yeah, that's your tendency. Like stop being freaked out by your own thinking, get ahead of it, prepare for it, have some counters and challenges um, already stored in your memory or stored in your heart so that you can play that card anytime that gremlin kind of comes up with its automatic way of thinking. Yeah, nice. Um, and and it was very helpful for me. I was able to uh, take take that test. And so we'll put that in the show notes. So anybody who wants to uh, do that can take that free test because it can be very eye opening to to understand where you may score highly and and just building that awareness of things that may be uh, you should be, you should know when, when it comes to your own thinking. Do you think that people now there could be many causes for this, you know, social media, fast paced society, just the way we are as a society. Do you think that people are losing the ability to really look at themselves in the mirror and really self-reflect and think about how they handled situations? Um, um, I, I chuckle because I just read a study on this. So I'm 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 thinking about that study. We're we're seeing more and more teenagers come coming up as being self-absorbed and narcissistic. So to answer your question, yes, to answer the why, yes, social media is creating more and more self-absorbed people in vain people which increases narcissism. Are there other reasons? Absolutely. Um you know, I think I, I think it's fair to say COVID changed the world, period. Oh, sure, but yeah. in America, it seems like COVID made more entitled people. Mm. Um, and, you know, when I lived in South Africa, one thing that I started to see really clearly is the blatant influence from Hollywood on our society. And I know that's like an obvious statement. But because Hollywood's rooted into our mainland, I do think it causes us to have more unrealistic thoughts than, and I've lived in other countries than some of the other countries that are, even first world countries that are a little bit more disconnected from Hollywood. Um, I think at the end of the day, if you want to be your best self the only thing you can do big picture is learn your dysfunctional thinking we all have dysfunctional mm. thinking and that's really all you can do and then be mindful of like what triggers it because I don't think there's like a perfect equation I think you know anything can cause it I mean look more and more fathers are leaving homes and this has been the case for decades and fathers single-handedly create self-esteem in children and so if you don't have a child with a healthy self-esteem, then that's going to create issues. I mean, mm -hmm. big picture, if you fail certain crises in your psychosocial stages, that can create more issues. So there's lots of factors, but we're really seeing it it, it kind of boil down to social media for the youngins. Um, I think my biggest like WTF moment, if that's appropriate to say as an adult, mm -hmm. is the fact that like there's many adults who are still extremely immature and mm -hmm. extremely childish 
So, you know, it's also like take, take into account the people you hang out with and the things that you spend time with. Um, I mean, this is one of the reasons why narcissism has such a low success rate to recovery because <laughs> a narcissist isn't willing to stay in therapy or do the work that is going to be required to improve. And so the more we create a world of narcissists, the more likely the world's going to fall apart. And it's, and the work thing is, is, is big, I think, because everything is instantaneous and easy, right? We've, we've created society where we can be entertained in five second clips or, you know, 30 second clips, and it's on, it's in the palm of our hand, we can be entertained for hours. And so the amount of work that someone would have to do to be able to understand what's going on with them, get assistance, you know, identify the things that they that they need to improve to be a better person, right? It's just not as appealing as, hey, I I, I can just, you know, scroll up <laughs> for, 30, for 30 second videos. And you're seeing that across the board, right? I mean, health deteriorating overall, you know, obesity, around the world now is becoming more and more um, prevalent. And, you know, I just think because in a way we've done this to ourselves because we're making things so easy. People are shying away from the work that it takes to really be a, a really positive impact on, on society. Yeah. And I, I, for me, and this might be like picking um, words, I don't, I feel like we're not necessarily making it easy or maybe the way we're making it easy is we no longer uphold consequences. I mean, if you mm. look at television, right, like 75% of shows depict violence in them. Mm-hmm. And 60% of those shows don't show any consequences to the actions of being violent. Mm. And then you have video games where you can just like restart. Right. Um, so it, the one thing, so my dad was born in 1928. He had me when he was 61 why I don't know he just decided he wanted me I guess um my mom's uh is a handful of years younger obviously and the biggest thing that I see in just being raised with his mentality and kind of being infused into the millennial uh mentality as well because I'm of that age uh we're very weak-minded very weak-minded and very Mm -hmm. entitled and very like somebody hurt my feelings wait get over it like toughen up buttercup life's hard that's like the best thing I can tell people, but it's like, nobody wants to accept that truth. It's like, no, I deserve this. You know, it's, it goes back to that narcissistic entitlement ultimately. And it, I, I don't really get it. Cause it's like this delayed gr- or this sh- instant gratification isn't helping you. You're not really enjoying your life, but you're unwilling to change it. And at the end of the day, you're the only one that can change it. It just doesn't make sense to me personally, as I draw on my face. Um, but yeah, I think we we as parents, I think sometimes uh, can lend ourselves to our children being raised that way by, you know, making it appear at least to outsiders that they they can't do any wrong. Well, you know, that's that's not my daughter, you know, and as opposed to being balanced and saying, look, if the situation happens where you're not, you know, your your child is not at fault. Even in those situations, you can have a discussion with your child and say, yeah. all right, but what what could we have done differently yeah. that may have caused this situation to not happen? 
I'm not blaming you for what happened because clearly, you know, and these are the situations when someone's completely at fault, which is so uh, doesn't happen anymore. Right. But, you know, and even in those situations when there's the blame can be placed somewhere, clearly, do, you, do we still take the time to kind of help our child at the very least to say, well, if you were in that situation, what would you have done differently? Right. Yeah. Instead of just saying, no, you were right. You're, you're, you're the, you know, you're the best, you know, keep. And, and I think sometimes to the Hollywood point that you gave, I think sometimes we, that's, that's like the, now the American dream, right. Is to be famous. We've seen people that are famous that really have no reason why they're famous. And 20, 30 years ago, they wouldn't be famous, but they're famous because of who they are versus anything they may have done. And, and I think that's, that's such a great point about Hollywood impacting that. Yeah, for sure. And to your point about parenting, you know, take it a step further when their friends mess up, teach them wisdom because wisdom is learning from other people's mistakes Yep. and give them attention. You know, we live in a world where anyone can be an expert. Everyone has a platform. You have right. so much knowledge at your fingertips, but are you present with the people that matter? Are you giving the people that need you love? Are are you working on yourself so that you can love people better? I mean, at the end of the day, I learned a few years ago to ask myself, like, am I going to remember this on my deathbed? If not, let it go, move on, move forward. People want love. People want to feel worthy. People want to have fun and just know that they matter. And if you can make people feel that way, then you're off to a huge head start and have the opportunity to really influence some true good in this world. Yeah, absolutely. So you also talk about three toxicity or fears that people need to work on yeah. that they first need to work on. So what are those? Because that, that can help anybody who's listening to this to kind of say, Oh, do I have those? Do I need to work on those? Yeah. So the core th- uh, fears that are not fears, but the core like blocks that I see that really have to be ripped apart before we can really repair any breaches is going to be envy and jealousy, bitterness and rejection. And typically within rejection, there's a lot of fears, but rejection itself is fueling those fears. So it's not a fear of rejection. It's just somewhere down the lines, typically in childhood, you were not given the love you really needed. Unfortunately, a lot of parents only know how to give performance love. I mean, this Mm. talk of unconditional love is really something kind of more new at the end of the day, just because the mindset was so different back in the day as well. And so a lot of parents do that performance love and we're seeing more and more issues kind of stemming from like rejection. Like if you struggle with perfectionism, it's because you feel you have to be perfect or you will be rejected. And so that's a huge core one, but that, that bitterness and jealousy and envy will also keep you in so much toxic thinking and it'll take your bandwidth for you to really do things that matter in life. Cause you're too worried about everyone, but you. Yeah. And what I always think of with envy, that one, you know, I always think, I always think it's not so much that someone wants what another person has. It's that they want what they have and they don't want that person to have it. Right. And so to me, that that is such a it, it raises the bar of how negative and how damaging that 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 quality can be, because now you're not just saying I want something better for myself. 
but I want it at the expense of someone else. And that, yeah, yeah. that can cause so many problems for individuals. Oh yeah. I mean, just listen to the self-righteousness in those statements. Right. And I'm mm. like, like, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I sure huh. had to work through my own envy and jealousy, but at the end of the day, you know, life is so much more than these materialistic things mm. in my opinion. And kind of circling back, I think one thing that's really created um, a breach in our society is stripping faith out, mm. especially in, in America. Like at the end of the day, our brain is designed to have a faith system. We've proven that in neuroscience and to, um, just across the board, like, you know, I believe we're spirit, mind and body at the end of the day, spirit, soul and body, you could say, I know not everyone believes in faith system, but you know, when we remove the spiritual part of our being out, we, you get a lot of issues. I mean, it's, it's interesting to see some of the core issues in the medical community and they want to throw drugs at it. Whereas people who have a functional view of humans are like, Ooh, this is the issue. This is the core thing. You could actually walk out of it if you deal with the root, but mm -hmm. so many people only want to believe what they believe. Right. Exactly. And I think the faith-based stuff does a couple of things. It, it, um, it makes you have an awareness for something bigger than yourself, yeah. which by itself should humble you and should make you say, well, I want to be better because there's something higher that is kind of over all of this. Yeah. And then I think the other thing is anything faith-based in its, in its right form, right. Is positive because you're thinking about something better in the future. Yeah. And then that's ingrained in you and you're wanting to be better and you're yeah. wanting others to be better. And, you know, so there's a hope and there's a humility that comes with that. And humans need hope. Mm -hmm. And we also, like, so many people want to put their, I laugh because I get it, but it makes no sense if you really stop to think about it. So many people want to put their security in money. Mm -hmm. I have mentors who've lost $10 million overnight. I, I, have, I have people that have lost their job overnight. Anything that you can physically touch or see is never going to keep you secure. It's just never. But we need security as human beings. And what I've found is if you can put it in a faith source, then you naturally get peace of mind first off, but it's also mm -hmm. easier to live in the present moment because you have this awesome higher power, God, whatever word you want to use, that's got your six and your front. Right. And all you have to do is enjoy the moment, mm -hmm. which is what I think a lot of people want to do, but they don't know how to do. Yep. Yeah. It's, um, there's so many people today that just don't want to have to answer to anyone, right? They want to do what they want to do. Um, and I think that your, your point of, from the medical side, that, that creeps into that as well, because, yeah. you know, a guy, a, a, a guy that's overweight has type two diabetes, right? Because of diet is the main driving factor. And they say, I just want to take a pill. Yeah. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to change who I am. I want to do what I want to do. Yeah. Just give me a pill. And, you know, now we're making it easier for that medicine to happen, you know, so that's really, they can touch a button on the side of their arm, right? And, and it makes it so easy. And it's not addressing the actual problem. Yeah. And we see this a lot with anti antidepressants, right? They're like mm -hmm. text now. And the thing that like pisses me off, I hope that's a word I can say, um, is if you do the research, antidepressants are half a unit better than the placebo, half a unit. 
but they only work in conjunction with psychotherapy. And the second you get off the antidepressant, you're exactly back where you started. So it doesn't fix anything. Now, yeah, sometimes there's right. a time and place where to take medicine so you can mm -hmm. just get to a point where you can then work on yourself. But I just wish that America would spend more money on the placebo effect. Obviously, we're not because, you know, Big Farm is here to stay, obviously. Um, but it's so frustrating to me because if you like when I work with a client, I'll ask them about their medical history because it teaches me so much about their core issues. And then if you can pull the core root, you will walk out of the of the symptom, which the symptom manifests physically, but it's not the real issue. I mean, it, it's it's just so frustrating to me how the medical community has missed the target. Yeah. Yeah, you had you had talked previously about, you know, how there's you know, everybody can be a coach. Everybody can give advice now. There's no, there's no bar there. There's no checking about, and you certainly can see that when it comes to the coaching profession, right? There's no, there's no requirements. There, there are certifications and things that people can have that can kind of distinguish them. But I haven't seen many executive coaches that are neuropsychotherapists. So what is that? And how's that different than a regular therapist? Great question. So regular therapists that I'm putting in air quotes right now, um, they focus on your feelings and your emotions. A neuropsychotherapist or a, neuro, um, psych, a neuropsychologist, my gosh, I can't talk to that today, is going to focus on your feelings and your emotions by all means, but they're really looking at the brain and behavior connection. Because when you, when you know how the brain works, you can start to listen to hear where there's certain parts of the brain that are over or underdeveloped. And so as a neuropsychotherapist, I can go, okay, I want to feed this part of your brain and start to starve this part of your brain. Um, so it kind of helps create that neurological change at a faster rate, you could say. It also gives me, like, I listen for, like, some of the neurological issues that could be going on in your mind. For instance, if you're someone who's constantly stricken by fear, like anxiety and stress and worry are just like your MO, then that tells me your brain has been miswired at some point in your life, meaning we need to be prefrontal cortex to limbic system. But what happens when you're obsessed with worry, stress and anxiety, where it's just like on a loop, right? It's called a limbic loop. And it tells me that you've gone from limbic system to prefrontal cortex. So you're never actually getting into your prefrontal cortex. You're always just living in survival mode, hmm. which means you're not making good decisions because, well, what makes humans different from the rest of the animals out there is that we have a prefrontal cortex and that's what makes us humans at the end of the day. And so you can start to actually close the gap a lot faster because you can kind of hear what the core issues are. For instance, like when you struggle with depression, that tells me that a certain part of your prefrontal cortex has been overdeveloped and ultimately you are motivated by avoidance. And so I want to help you get motivated by positivity and doing mm -hmm. things that excite you. And so you can just kind of collapse time a little bit faster and get that result results that you're after a lot quicker when you understand how the brain is wired and how it works. Got it. So it's, it's a it's letting you, it's almost like you're able to look under the hood to see uh, what's going on and what, uh, what connections may be causing some of the, the actual feelings and behavior. Exactly. Because ultimately for change to be more permanent, we have to rewire mm -hmm. the brain and yep. um, a good therapist 
theoretically knows how to rewire your brain while just talking with you. And so you might not even know it's happening, which sounds terrifying. I get that, but it's not right. Like go to someone you trust, obviously, otherwise it wouldn't work. Um, but again, that's what you're after is putting in those roadblocks for certain neurons. So you go a different way. I mean, it's, it's just like if you were driving to your, your favorite grocery store and there was road work on your normal path, you have to find a different path. And so it's doing that same thing, but at a faster rate because you have two people working with you. So theoretically you get change faster because two people are always going to be better than one in certain situations. Yeah, that's a great analogy. So one of the things that has come up and I've had a couple conversations with is neuro-linguistic programming. Do you have mm -hmm. any exposure, any thoughts on that type of programming? Is it something NL that you utilize? NLP is not something that I utilize. I mean, at the end of the day, the research is fairly the same. Um, mm -hmm. I just don't sub subscribe to some of, some of the beliefs of the NLP. Um, you know, it was really catchy. Oh, I think like Tony mm. Robbins made it popular yeah. or someone like that. Um, mm. And I just have like my own personal issues with Tony Robbins, to be completely honest. Um, I've worked with NLP practitioners. They always say the funniest things to me. And I'm just like, do you understand the science of what you're saying? Or are you just saying that because you were taught it? So um, I don't really feel like I know enough to like comment on it. Mm. I can really only say like, I have a personal bias towards it. Not all of it's really even built on science too, which is interesting. Um, but here's the thing. If you believe in it and it's right. worked for you, then do it. Mm -hmm. Who gives a crap? There's too much stuff out there for, for one person to say, yes, this is right. This is, this is not. But um, I mean, there is tremendous power. I mean, I will, I will say this. The core principles to neuroplasticity, which is rewiring your brain, mm -hmm. is expansive thinking and changing your vocabulary. That's what you have to do. Like that, that at the end of the day are like the two pillars. And then it's repetition. So it's focus, attention, and repetition at the end of the day. It's being focused on, hey, are you using really big, different thinking? Because you have to think bigger. Are you changing your vocabulary? And are you constantly repeating it? I mean, if you just take the mask, for example, which I don't care if you like them or didn't like them, it's just something we all went through as a country. Most of us forgot to put on masks when we went into new stores, unless you were all truly- the time. All Oh, the I time. totally forgot. <laughs> and like, what did they do? They had radio station commercials on them. They had billboards about the mask. They had signs on doors. They programmed us because our brains mm -hmm. are extremely programmable to learn to always get the mask. And like after the fifth or sixth time walking back to your car, after you're almost about to enter the store, you're like, I'm not going to forget this bloody mask yep, because they exactly. helped create associations. So it's the same, same kind of like foundation of it at the end of the day, it's just a different angle of how they do it. But to me, like hypnotherapy and NLP, like I run really, really far away from, but I'm a really strong faith-based person. So I try to do things more in alignment to my faith. Understood. Like you said, there's different paths and that's, that uh, speaks to the power of thoughts, because if yeah. you, if you are, if you personally are behind it and it's having good success for you, then hey, there are different treatments and uh, things that can be done for any number of uh, issues that people are facing. So, heck yeah. At the end of the day, if you believe in it, do it. Cause, you know, it's interesting when you read the like research on what makes therapy successful. I mean, therapy, big picture, isn't very successful. Talk therapy does not have a great success rate. And 
cognitive behavioral therapy is the most successful of all therapies at a 70% success rate. So let that sink in, right? That's the best 70% change with cognitive behavioral therapy. But at the end of the day, it's having trust and a healthy relationship with whomever you're talking with. That's the key. And if you've never had safety imprinted into your mind as a young child, therapy is probably not the best avenue for you. So go the self-study route or the best friend route. My only caveat is make sure whoever you talk to is not negative and is not toxic and Mm. can also challenge you in a way for you to truly grow versus telling you sweet things because secret love is just not what you're signing up for at the end of the day. Um, So as long as you can find someone who you trust and who meet your needs there, then that's a great start. Yeah, great. So I could probably talk to you about this for probably two hours or or more, because I'm having such a good time talking about these things. Uh, But I would want to, I do want to give you a chance to end this conversation with something that you want our guests to take away. So if you could have, if you had the floor for the next 20, 30 seconds to to give us something for our guests to take away uh, from this podcast, what would it be? You're never too old and you're never um, too late to change your life. Like there's always a path that you can switch to at any second. You can start now. You don't have to wait at the end of the day. And if you can believe it, then it's 100% possible. But the first step rests with them, right? rest with all of us to to do that yeah i mean some of it is just like making up your mind to do it like one of my Mm. best analogies is stop putting your toe in the water and just jump in just jump in yeah just jump in you know what like you can do it and maybe it takes a while for you to really believe that you can do it but if you believe that you can one day believe it's possible great you're on the right track if you can do that so uh if anyone that's listening to this wants to learn more about you, is the website the best the best way for them to, to learn more? Yes, I'm the most active on YouTube, LinkedIn, and my website. Oh, okay, nice. So yeah. I'll put all of those in the show notes so that uh, anyone listening to this will have that. Uh, we'll make sure to connect on all those areas too so that we can be connected because I'm sure this will not be the last conversation that I'll have with you, if that's okay with you, because this has oh, been okay. great. Yeah, I hope I get to come back on. It's been really fun chatting with you. And I do a lot of podcasts. And I have to say, Dana, you ask really awesome, fascinating questions and have a perspective I have yet to run into, which I just find is really cool because I like to learn. <laughs> oh, awesome. Well, that's that. that wow. That's, uh, that's nice to hear. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, thanks again for your time, Elizabeth. It was great. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk again. I look forward to it. Have a great one. Thank you for joining us on our journey to learn about various topics. If you'd like to get in touch with the dad who knows nothing, connect with him at the dad who knows nothing on TikTok and Instagram or dad knows zero on Twitter. If you have a moment and you like this episode, drop us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Have a great day and enjoy your journey through this game called life.